All right, everybody, this is like my 50th take on this bumper because I can't say words today. This is the bumper in which I tell you that there is a video version of this episode on our Patreon at patreon.com slash late night. We also take a break in the middle of this episode to watch and do a commentary track of True Detective Season 1, Episode 1 that you can also find on Patreon. Whew, all right, that's the bumper. And here is the episode. Sorry you have to listen to this, Jarek. Vernon, we're going to do a ceremonial clap sync that actually does not have any utility, but it makes me feel better when we do it. Do we clap at the same time? Yes, I'm going to say okay. three, two, one, clap, and then we'll clap. You ready? Okay. So wait, it's three, two, one, and then clap, or clap. Is it three, two, one, clap, go. It's three, two, one, clap. Okay. You clap on clap. Yes. All right. Three, two, on clap. one. I fucking swear to God, Vernon, don't do this to me tonight. <laughs> We're having so much fun. Look at us. We're hanging out on a podcast. We're hanging out on a podcast. You know, Brian, you Jared, keep it. this you in. Brian, no, you Brian leaves it. town, and I think I get a little bit of peace on my Zen. Look, we're using Zencaster. I'm in his account. I'm Brian Wagno. I can play the What's Poppin' theme song whenever I want. <laughs> Is this a button right? you can press? Yeah, there's been a button this whole time. Every single time, it's like you can't hear it while they put it in because we put it in in post. But no. No. <laughs> This whole time. Okay, that's the actual what's popping joke. Is is that like this whole time we could have heard it whenever. He has the power that, to do it, but he doesn't do time it. We could have heard. Isn't that eg- egregious? Isn't that awful? So do we clap on clap? Oh my god. <laughs> We're gonna Later clap on, on clap. Thursday. You're selling it to me like a rock, paper, scissors shoot, right? Or is it a rock, paper, scissors? It's a rock, paper, scissors shoot for the love okay. of God. <laughs> okay, but for the love but of like, God, you're, Montresor. You're, 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 <laughs> You're clapping on clap. You're not clapping clapping on on shoot. (sighs) This is called me being obstinate for comedic purposes as a warm What is it? Do I have some sort of like curse that makes it so anybody that I record with will just take on the Brian energy? No. Well, if that's the case, then you and me have like similar curses where like Brian doesn't even need to be here to eat my lunch. Yeah. I'll put my foot in my mouth some way. Yeah. All right. Uh, All right, hey everybody, welcome to Late Night with Brian Wecht. (laughs) (laughs) Except Brian's not here, because he's got, uh, quote-unquote, more important things to do. That's what he said to me. He said, I'm not recording today, I have more important stuff to do. We're doing this Late Night differently, aren't we? But how is that different from normal Late Night? (laughs) I I almost (laughs) called you Brian just then. That's how bad this is. I almost just called you Brian. This is how it feels right now? Like, you you feel like you're hanging out with a Brian-type? yeah. Yeah, his energy is with us. That's like an insult, man, to be told I'm a Bryant type. You're welcome. You're welcome. That hurts, man. Only one of you has a PhD. In what? Theoretical physics? Uh, Whatever. I'm a writer, so we don't need doctors. No, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What, what, what makes me so much better than a doctor? I got a doctor brother, and he has a doctor wife, and they just had doctor babies. Yeah, there's my late night announcement. I'm an uncle now. And I got to meet them, and I loved them so much. And I cried when I met them. My brother had a, had had twins, and one of them had to stay overnight in the hospital, and I stayed with her, and I wanted to add to that mythos of the stories that I get to tell these babies when they're older, and the mythos is that we listened through the Strokes' Is This It album. Oh my God, what did you do to that poor child? <laughs> I was like rocking her to sleep, singing her Neutral Milk Hotel songs. Oh <laughs> God, Vernon! <laughs> That should be up uh, there with, like, smoking while you're pregnant. <laughs> you can't do that like, to a child. Hey, kid, you're going to be sad for the rest of your life. You're going to have really inaccessible taste in music. And all throughout middle school, you're going to have trouble making friends because of it. That's the curse I've laid upon these children. I wasn't expecting you to go straight for, you know, like, burying your soul and your newfound uncleness on this Dude, I'm, I'm so happy, episode. man. Like, I'm going to hang out with my brother and his, his wife for a week and just help out with the house and, like, help out with their kids and... Just gonna be like an uncle. Spent a lot of time trying to figure out what exact type of uncle I'm gonna be in. Like it's very obviously like I'm the LA art uncle and I'm just like the weird guy and I'm so excited to just be the weird guy in this like fun family dynamic. I'm happy for you, buddy. Thank you, man. Thanks. I, I love them a lot. They're beautiful babies. Yeah. 
whenever I'm on a podcast, Tim makes me send them to him so that he can listen to it. And then he like talks to me about it afterwards. It's really nice. And so, hey, Tim, my older brother, I love you a whole bunch. Uh, it is so cool to see you starting a family. You're right, Tim. This is the last moment I will be sincere during this podcast. Okay, so yeah, maybe we should lay down what the thesis for this episode is other than Brian big-timing us. The ghost of Brian living through us. Much in the same way that Steve Schrippa on Talking Sopranos is constantly insisting that Michael Imperioli big-timed him. Uh, <laughs> that's what Brian did to us. Yeah. The, the thesis of this episode is very often Vernon and I will get on a Discord call and smoke a little devil's lettuce. Even though we, again, we could within like two minutes, be physically in the same space. And we choose yeah, not I, to be. I think there's, there's a certain luxury in the agoraphobia of it all, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're, we're both in our little hobbit holes. Within the same, you know, spitting distance. Yeah, just screaming about media. Yeah, so this happens frequently. We talk shit, and then we watch something. And then if it's long, we take a break in the middle to talk more shit. And then afterwards, we talk more shit. So today, we're going to be sitting here. We're going to talk some shit some socially acceptable and publicly consumable shit. So already we're way off of uh, what this would normally be like. Normally there's a lot more like vile words said. Yeah. And, you know, Leighton going off about like the latest episode of the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh my God. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I rewatched Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was like hanging out with Joe Rogan. Did you see the one time Elon Musk smoked weed? Yeah. You're always on about that Elon Musk guy. Why do you think he's like so good for our planet? He's just a cool guy, Vernon. I just think he's really cool. He has alpha energy. See, God, now I'm taking up the Brian mantle. <laughs> you were telling me the other day about how it's like, oh man, I just hope him and Grimes get back together. Oh my God. I hope God. that they things up. <laughs> it's that thing you said to the, me. All the things that we've lied and said our friends have said, like the other week when we were saying that Jory was espousing his right-wing viewpoint, I think you saying that I think Elon and Grimes should get back together is the most disgusting <laughs> of all of them. Because we've had to cut out a bunch of those things that we've lied about our friends saying. <laughs> I just remember like a decade ago, like there I am on YouTube and I see like a later with Jules Holland like performance by this new artist called Grimes where she's like playing this really awesome song. And for some reason she has vagina rings on. And I saw mm -hmm. that and I was like, cool, I think this is a great artist and I'm going to follow her career for a while. Surely it won't have anything to do with the wealthiest man on earth and also just like, the, and be like sort of indicative of the crumbling of society. Yeah, I love that. We were talking about something and then you brought up Joe Rogan. Yeah, sorry. No, this this is the Vernon and Layton hangout simulator. Yeah. The goal is to bring the Layton night fandom in on like what a typical Thursday night Vernon hanging out with Layton would be, which is us chilling normally on a balcony. If you are listening to this, just put yourself in the headspace of like, you just got fine walking distance Mexican food with your buddies. Which we just did with our dogs. Yeah, you, you walked your dogs to the local Mexican restaurant. You guys split up. You each took maybe about 45 minutes to eat that and maybe watch a couple YouTube videos in preparation okay. for this. I already said that we're not doing segments, but the one segment that I want to do is, what did you watch in between us eating our food and getting on okay. this call. Okay, because we, we were sending clips back and forth. First of all, we both watched the Success in Season 4 trailer. Yes. Extremely excited. I think Roman Roy has a fun new haircut. It's a little more alt-right this time. <laughs> he got he got like this cool alt-right hive aid. Yeah. Here in Colkin. It works for him. He has the bone structure for it. And everybody looks great. Everyone's in like fun scenes together. There's a lot of cool pairings. Yeah, we're getting everybody together against Logan for one last season. God, I am begging Brian to watch some succession so we can talk about oh, it because so I know he's going to like it. Sorry, my, my cat's like very active right now. So she's just going to join us on the yeah. call for a little bit. Oh, will you, will you have your cat tell everyone what sound a cat makes? Hey, Mike, what's the sound a cat makes? Ah, the there it is. <laughs> Whenever I scratch both of my cat's ears at the same time, she always meows on command, except for literally right now. She hates podcasting. But if you're watching the Patreon, which you can subscribe to, you'll see my cat. We give her torso a little wiggle for us? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, she's so long. She's been on a diet. She's losing weight. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that puts her in a better mood than she usually is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, girl. Yeah. Uh, okay, wait. What, what were you watching? Because I got a couple more. Last night, 
we did one of these in preparation for this one, and I just mm. needed some comfort media, and I've been rewatching The Sopranos. So we watched the Christopher episode of The Sopranos about Christopher Columbus. So much good shit in that episode. I know people really hate that one for some reason, and it's because why. people are fools with no media literacy. You, you said it while we were watching it, but like it, it is just The Sopranos Beach episode. It is. Here's all of your favorite characters of The Sopranos just being the most, like, absolute versions of themselves. Yes. Janice and her therapist. Incredible. I didn't realize the first time I watched this, but you pointed out this time, that Michael Imperioli, Chris from Sopranos, wrote it. And, okay, a lot of things to cover there. The title of the episode is called Christopher. So, like, Michael Imperioli wrote a TV episode with the title of his character, but gave himself, like, two lines generously two lines and <laughs> then one of generous. them he was gay gary cooper <laughs> which is so iconic that's so on purpose you know that's on purpose we're not doing segments this time but very we're obviously, not doing segments like, at all our our what's popping was <laughs> you're you're drunk with power you're, I am. You're, you were you were drunk with power you sicko we can add a limitless number of buttons onto Zencaster, and we only have the one, and there's only what's popping. <laughs> Brian's not here, and yet his ghost still haunts us. <sighs> the specter. What else did you watch in between before and now? Well, like, if there was hypothetically a what's popping, I think both of our what's poppins would be Michael Imperioli on Chopped. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. What's popping is our pussies for Michael Imperioli. Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. I know I, I I hate like how much like shit I talk about parasocial relationships and yet still I'm like Michael Imperioli I want to be him we've had like an erratic recording schedule since I've gotten out of grippy sock jail and the one thing that I desperately wanted to be my pop in was two things I love architectural digest touring celebrities homes and Michael Imperioli he did one and it's it's as incredible as you would want it to be. Just watch it. It's amazing. Such a good representation of like maximalism done right. Like there's so much stuff in his apartment. Yeah. He's like digging around for his old books. It's all done with intention and like it's a very lived in space. And his his wife, who's an interior designer, did all of it. And he just sort of like believed in this creative collaboration, just sort of allowed her to do whatever. And he feels so comfortable in his house and like... I don't know, he, like, picks up a book. He's like, I've traveled with this book since I was 18 years old. And, like, oh, man, like, don't you want to be and, that? And the cherry on top is that that it's this beautiful, like, Art Nouveau, elaborate apartment. And then he just drops that his favorite show is American Dad. And I can't think of anything <laughs> more iconic than that. And I told Vernon this, but I desperately want to Photoshop Michael Imperioli into the Criterion Closet holding a DVD that just has American <laughs> Dad on it. But during... Architectural Digest, he mentioned that he was on Chopped and that he won Chopped and neither of us had seen this. So we both sat down and watched it one night and God, was it perfect? It was a revelation because when I watched the AD video, I thought that he had said, my kids say I should go on Chopped. I didn't realize that he had actually done it and won until you sent the stuff to me. So first of all, regular Chopped is a whole thing, but then they did this big charity like tournament of celebrities where they had brackets where it was like, here's a bunch of athletes and here's comedians and here's actors and they'll all four duke it out. Then each one who makes it, they go up against each other. So Michael's in a slate with a couple of other actors. There's Michael Imperioli, Lucas Grabiel, as some people of my age might remember from High School Musical, um, <laughs> who does not bop, 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 bop to the top in this one. Thank you very much. <laughs> Then, lady from Tyler Perry movies and guy who plays a dad on a bunch of things. It's remarkable that you remembered any of them because all I can see <laughs> is Michael Imperioli just sort of, I don't know, being levels above everyone else. It feels comical. It's embarrassing for everyone else. It's embarrassing for everyone else. Meanwhile, Michael Imperioli shows up to fucking work and Jesus looks hot Christ. doing it. The level of incompetence, sorry, incompetence isn't like the right word. Lucas Grabiel, I will say, he put up a bit of a fight. He was ambitious. I would go to Lucas's defense and say that it was his ambition that killed him in the end. He flew too close to the sun. And like as a young man, like that's just what young men do sometimes. He didn't have the wisdom that Michael Imperioli <laughs> had to operate within his 
like operate with it within his own like jurisdiction, right? Yeah. Fuck it, man. I'm just gonna like spoil all of this go, chopped go. up stuff because like it's still enjoyable. Lucas tried to make a really like avant-garde pizza, but he didn't put it into the oven soon enough. He tried to cook a fucking pizza with five minutes left. You got a plate. You got a plate. You gotta have time to plate. Like I don't know, man. Like what, what were you like? You were saying that would have been fixed if you like use flatbread or something like that. Well, he made it too big, and so the issue was when he pulled it out, the dough was not done in the middle. So if you have less time, he could have, like, put the crust in in advance and had it go a little bit more before he put the toppings on that he was still prepping. He could have, you know, reduced. Anyway, I'm backseat chopping. Um, <laughs> My favorite part about this whole thing is that we were talking shit on everyone else's <laughs> stuff throughout this entire episode. <laughs> you show somebody mincing garlic wrong, and I'd be like, that's disgusting. While I spread peanut butter on my rice cake. Dude, I was eating an Uncrustable. I have no... (laughs) (laughs) I have no leg to stand on. Just like, oh, Jesus Christ. You're making like an oatmeal slurry? Like, oh, gross. As I'm like fucking just putting a layer of crunchy (laughs) peanut butter on a low-calorie snack. What did Michael make for the appetizer? I don't remember. Oh, it was the bloody popcorn thing. Oh, you're right. Genius. Genius. Meanwhile, other lady burns her popcorn and then uses it as a garnish anyway. Get out of here. My absolute favorite bit about that was, yeah, it was the championship round against Brandy Chastain, soccer player. Yeah. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make a blueberry goat cheese. Before he tried to make the bark, he was trying to uh, put it into a whipped cream canister to make a froth out of it, right? And then oh, it didn't yeah, work. Yeah. So he just calls an audible and he's like, no, I'm going to use the anti-griddle to create blueberry goat cheese ice cream bark at, like you could see the gears turning in his head it was like oh yeah i can't make I, I can't make the froth like i have to do something else i know what i'll do i'll use an anti-griddle the man is he levels adapts. above all of us he does because you know what happens the tv dad in that round is like oh i'm gonna make ice cream too because michael imperioli initially tries to make ice cream in one of the dessert yeah, rounds here's the, important, here's, he's, here's the important part here's what we actually want to talk about <laughs> I've been unable to stop thinking about this. He want, He's going to make a mascarpone strawberry ice cream and he's getting it together. And the judges are over there talking to the host whose name I always forget. And they're like, look at Michael Imperioli. He is crushing the mascarpone and the strawberries with his hands. And one of the judges is like, is it okay if I say that that's like really sexy? And it's like, you can tell the whole vibe of the two episodes that he's on. You can tell everybody in the room wants to fuck Michael Imperioli. Legitimately. Like the the Jillian lady. Everyone just had a soundbite where they're like, I kind of want to fuck Michael Imperioli. <laughs> like, I have a crush on him. It's hot when he touches the strawberry. Yeah, every one of them was like, oh, he's using his hands. And it cuts to them. And they're like having hot flashes <laughs> over the judge's table. Like they're sweating. Like, okay, okay, so he tr- he tries to do the strawberry ice cream thing. And he's like ladling it with his bare hand. Like getting strawberry ice cream like all over him. And it doesn't work. It's a mess. But he, fig- he figures it out. And then later, because he's a fucking champion, he tries to make ice cream again. Because he didn't want to be beaten by the machine. And this absolute scrub of generic TV dad comes in and is like, oh, I guess I'll make ice cream. Well, it doesn't work for him either. And so he serves the judges an ice cream soup, which is just melted ice cream. And then like one of the basket items was the star cookie. And what does this asshole do? He just (laughs) drops it in the ice cream soup. Disgusting. Whereas Michael Imperial is giving us literal art. Literal art. So in the basket, there was a fruit called a Buddha's hand. And then there's a soundbite of him talking about how he's a Buddhist. And he saw that as a good sign. But then he like presents his thing and he's like, I call it the Buddha's hand reaching for the stars. <laughs> it's just... And it's, it's fucking slayed. It's slayed. It, like, it's slayed. They go easy on the celebrities for Celebrity Chopped. It always starts off with a compliment and, and then it goes to just, oh, like, I just wish you had done it this way. And they had to do that for Michael Imperioli like, they had to stick to that script. But legit, like, legitimately, everything that he made was levels above. Like, done done with just this clarity and creativity that all of the other celebrity contestants just did and not have. And with time to fucking spare. Every time he had, like, two minutes. It's incredible. Yeah. We got to talk about entrees because I forget what was in the basket. But he decides to make seafood pasta and then a little salad on the side. 
Dude's out here making Italian pasta and the portions he's are like, he's huge. He's like roasting pine nuts and shit. He's roasting pine nuts for his little ensalada and then he serves it. And it's like, this is the kind of thing I would serve my kids. And it's just like, I, I'm spontaneously pregnant now. <laughs> I, and I remember what the judges... The criticism that they gave was like, oh, the salad's too good. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, like the, the salad, salad better than the main entree. Alex Gordishelli was like, this is this is like salad my father would make. And I was like, yo, he ratatouille her. <laughs> There's no better compliment of chop than ratatouille one of the judges. And Michael Imperioli hits it on a celebrity chef episode. Whew. Everyone on that show is just like, I don't want to fuck Michael Imperioli. <laughs> Just like I'll, I'll say, I'll sque- squeeze that with your hand again. I'll, I'll even put the strawberries in the ice cream. Like, could you, just, could you give it a little squeezy? Everybody gets their little like intro, like them sharpening a knife and a little voiceover, and all of them just seem like goobers. And then they come to Michael Imperioli, and he's like, "I like pressure." <laughs> a lot of anti-Italian discrimination in that episode. Just like. Oh, I was afraid he was going to whack me. Like, <laughs> fuck off. No. He, he's a calm, peaceful well, Buddhist, okay? They're all trying to raise money for their charity. And his is he wants to build schools for children in Tibet. And he wins. <laughs> and that's all he cares about. He's just like, this is going to build three schools for like 150 children. <sighs> anyway, based on our track record, Michael Imperioli will be canceled within the week. So... <laughs> Oh man! Wait, what were the episodes? People need to know where to season go. Season nineteen, this. season nineteen, maybe season nineteen, episode two and episode seven. Okay, yeah, it's two episodes. You're gonna want to start off with like the initial knockout round because you got to see Michael Imperial just tap dance, just, ha- just, just how tap much dance he's on clowning the grave on of everyone. High School Musical kid. He's making the ponytail work like somehow. Yo, well, yeah, because like literally everyone on that show is like, oh, fucking give me that ponytail. <laughs> Dude, I, I need you to read his novel, The Perfume Burned His Eyes, which was not like my most favorite thing in the world. But reading it was like an erotic experience in which my parasocial <laughs> relationship with Michael Imperioli was like, oh, he's a good fucking novel. Oh, my God. Look at that word choice. Ooh, I, I got to stop doing this parasocial relationship thing. But I love the idea of Michael Imperioli introducing himself as a novelist. <sighs> I would say every single time, every single time we have one of these calls, we bitch about parasocial relationships. But the thing is, humans, we don't go to church anymore, and we need some form of myth-making. Humans need it to communicate with each other and to to find like a ground cultural connection. It's how we do stuff. It's just problematic, but it just feels so good to do. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Well, because I want want the media I watch to tell me if I'm a good person or not. And I need the people whose work I enjoy to be the barometer of who I am as a person and what my morality is. Why won't the cartoon tell me what to believe? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, no. Who do you think should be canceled next? Dude, wouldn't that be such a fun... Bro- oh, what, what's it called? It's um like a kill list of just like everybody pool. placing bets. A, yeah, a death pool. Thank you. But for cancellation... <laughs> Um, that would be really healthy for society and the internet as a whole, I think. Oh, 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 you you said last night you asked me a question and then we were like, let's save it for the podcast. Do you remember what that question was? Oh, yeah. Layton, what's your favorite dinosaur? Let me paint the picture. I've known you, Layton, for Jesus Christ. Has it been seven, eight years almost? I think so. Seven or eight? Jesus, when you think about it like that, right? Yeah, fucked up, right? But we were hanging out last night and just talking as regular friends do. Um, and out of nowhere, uh, you went and just showed me your dinosaur collection. <laughs> and the entire time, in all of these years that I've known you, you've never once breathed a word about dinosaurs to me. Literally ever. And then you go on to tell me that this was a very important and large part of your childhood was your love of dinosaurs. So, a couple questions. One, why did you hide this from me? And two, what's your favorite dinosaur? Well, it's such an immutable part of my person that I just assumed that it was obvious in my inner... No, I don't know. (laughs) uh, Ever since I was like a tiny baby, I had like a CD of 
Some of the first computer games I ever played were like the PC dinosaur games. Oh, yeah. I had a CD with a bunch of songs about dinosaurs, one of which was like, where did all the dinosaurs go? And it always made me too upset to listen to that one because it was just like, where did they go? (laughs) They died. You fucking know where they went, dude. But I had a big basket of dinosaur toys. And you remember how we made Amanda in the opening moments of Dream Daddy a princess dinosaur because she couldn't choose? Well, no, she was a princess dragon. Sorry, excuse me, Princess Dragon. One of my toddler Halloweens, it was like one night I was a dinosaur and the next I was a fairy princess or something. Like, I loved dinosaurs. I had like the books. My parents would trot out my ability to say Archaeopteryx when I was like a toddler or whatever. It was a whole thing. There's a picture of me in like a sick Jurassic Park shirt that, you know, I watched Jurassic Park way too young and my nightmares for years were plagued just by Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Anyway, big, big thing. He just never talked about it. Okay, so there's, you know, children, specifically like male toddlers, they spec out in a couple of directions where it's like you can be a train kid or a dinosaur kid or a plane kid or a truck kid. Which were you? Planes. 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 Planes, of course. That makes sense. That's what my favorite plane is. What was your favorite plane? The Spitfire. Ask me what my favorite production model of the Spitfire was. What was your favorite production model of the Spitfire? Mark 9. Late in the war. Wow. We had figured out a lot of stuff about the Spitfire, but also, I don't know, man, a lot of kudos to the Spitfire for helping to win the Battle of Britain. From a young age, I played World War II Flight Simulator, massively multiplayer online games. It was called uh, Aces High back in the day. Oh, I'm I'm Vernon. I'm I'm six years old, and my favorite book is Slaughterhouse Five by <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> Dude, you know I like my dad had the History Channel on like for the entirety of my childhood, and I didn't get yeah, it. I didn't get. It. I was like, why is my dad watching Arlie Ermey's Mail Call? And I just didn't get it. And I didn't get it for most of my adult life. And then I turned thirty. And a switch flipped in my brain, and now all I want to do is watch World War II documentaries. I feel that. That's it. Yeah, that's it. You're a consistent plug for me with war content, as I imagine that I am to you (laughs) with murder and video games that nobody cares about. I always appreciate when you tell me some unhinged bullshit about Fallout. I always do. I never get it, but I always appreciate it. Thank God. Um, The thing that I was going to say, the reason I was thinking about dinosaurs is because yesterday on Reddit, I was just browsing my, my what do you call it, timeline, main feed, whatever. But r slash movie circle jerk, which, sorry, it wasn't movie circle jerk. It was shitty movie details because there's nothing I hate more than Reddit r slash movie details. <laughs> did, did you see a Knives Out? Uh, did you know that Knives Out is named after a Radiohead song? Blech. Hold on, I'm going to movie details right the fuck now, but I'm going to continue telling this story. Anyway, but the post on shitty movie details was like, if you go to r slash dinosaurs right now, all of them are flipping out about the accuracy of dinosaurs in the new Adam Driver movie. And so I didn't know r slash dinosaurs was a thing. And I love a subreddit deep dive and holy shit, people love dinosaurs. Are they shit posty about dinosaurs? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that And so I much. love that for them. But I love finding a community and reading it. I was like, I thought about dinosaurs all the time as a kid. Why do I not think about dinosaurs as an adult? They were bitching. I love the progression of everybody arguing over what's the best media depiction of the Spinosaur because <laughs> prominently featured in Jurassic Park 3, you know, in, in the bipedal land-dwelling form. Which r slash dinosaurs goes to bat for that movie. They love that one. And the thing is, it's not accurate because, you know, they, they really measure like what was accurate at the time in terms of like holotypes, which like I learned that a holotype is like, this is the prime example of like what this was and this is what everything is going to be based on of like, this was the thing. And it's changed and apparently Spinosaurus were aquatic and like four legs. And so there are newer depictions where they're like cool and aquatic, but everybody's like, you know, I know the Jurassic Park one wasn't accurate, but the cool factor, <laughs> it's amazing. Well, were there some examples of like really shit movies? Oh, there was a recent documentary series with Stephen Fry that they were really ripping on because apparently they stole a bunch of dinosaur models, like from Turbo Squid. Like they're the same dinosaur models that are in that video game arc. <laughs> Okay. They were going off. Okay. 
So anyway, r slash dinosaurs is pretty cool. And then I watched a bunch of dinosaur videos, including one that was like, here's a thesis study on like the vocalizations of dinosaurs and they all sound really scary and I love it. (sighs) Anyway, I'm looking at r slash movie details right now. What do you got? What's your favorite dinosaur? I didn't even answer your question. Parasaurolophus. That's my favorite. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Those are the ones with the horns in their head. Yes. Yeah. Honky boys. What about you? I don't think I have a favorite dinosaur, man. Like, uh, I like dinosaurs. I just, I've, I've never, like, come down on one, you know? You have to choose. I have to choose. Gun to your head. It just feels like, uh, it's not like a pterodactyl. I think they're cool. But then you yeah. also got, like, the pterosaur. Uh, okay, okay. Appar- apparently pterodactyls are not actually dinosaurs. <laughs> Fuck off. Okay. All right, dude. Yeah, what, what, what else do you want to ruin? I read Dinotopia as a kid, and I liked it a lot. Dinotopia fucks. Uh, fuck, what's that guy's name? Light and Shadow? That guy. He, like, wrote the book about... About, like, painting light. Yeah. God, that's so cool. Damn it, I don't remember his name. James Gurney. God. James Gurney, Light and Shadow. And he just wanted to, like, paint people hanging out with dinosaurs. Color and Light. Color and Light. Excuse me. Color and Light is the best art education book you could possibly buy. And that's on God. I believe it when I, I, I say I that. I fucking love dinosaurs. Loves dinosaurs. More importantly, in reddit.com r slash movie details, in Shark Boy and Lava Girl 2005, Mr. Electrodad mistakenly calls Linus Minus, teasing his alter ego reveal later in the film. Jesus fucking Christ. Jesus. I'm I'm begging anyone on the internet to to just appreciate any subtext at all. There's a video from Chris Straub, who makes the very good YouTube channel, Local 58, who I would love to have on the show. But he has a TikTok, I think, where he's reacting to some movie details thing about Back to the Future. And he's like, yeah, that's the movie. That's not a secret. That's the movie. And I think of that (laughs) all the time. That's not a secret. It's the movie. God, I hate Reddit. We're going to have to jump into the the weedening in a moment, right? Oh, yeah. Part of this is that, you know, before we've done episodes with Jory where we've done commentary and discussion of a particular thing that just turns into us mainly talking about other TV shows and movies. The thing here is that what we are about to watch is not germane to this general experience. We will have a commentary track on the Patreon that you can listen to, but it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, we just needed some fuel. We might not even necessarily talk about it all that much, but for Mm -hmm. the sake of And, you know, it's not going in the title. We'll maybe briefly mention it in the description. It's just that our hangouts are structured so we talk, enjoy content, and then have after-content discussion. Frequently it involves weed. Frequently it involves weed because we're adults and we live in California. So today we're going to be watching episode one, season one of True Detective. I told you this last night, but I haven't seen it since... I watched it with you so many years ago. This would have been the December that we wrote the bulk of Dream Daddy, and that was oh, December man. 2016. Because you you wouldn't stop harassing me about it. And then I think we watched Brokeback Mountain, and we got really bummed out about it. And then you were like, Leighton, <laughs> you have to... <laughs> For some reason, we thought we thought Brokeback Mountain was going to be fun because all you, you and know me knew about Brokeback Mountain was all the like the SNL sketches about it. It was like, oh, this is going to be well, fun. Well, yeah, you know... That's the real tragedy of Brokeback Mountain is that the cultural consciousness around it was just like some big homophobic joke. That's the only thing that gets trickled down to you of like, ew, gross. And it's just like a beautiful and heartbreaking movie. It's so fucked up, man. Dude, it's so good. We thought we were going to write afterwards. And then yeah, we were, we're just, just like... We're going to watch this like quick movie and then we'll just jump right back into writing. No. No. <laughs> I Oh, I so vividly remember like just like me sitting on my couch on that call with you. It was like, what if we just... What if we just take a day? And then we took two days. We took two, took two, yeah, two days to come back to writing. We did. Well, it took us a while to mutually figure out that we were like, hey, can we have another hour before we get on the call? It was because we were both taking depression naps, but trying to hide <laughs> the fact that we were taking depression naps yeah. to delay yeah. writing. Anyway, so you, you told me to watch True Detective, and I finally gave it a shot. And then I stayed up all night, and I watched that entire first season. And since then... It is maybe my ultimate comfort show in terms of number of rewatches. And when I was in treatment, you bet I watched it in there. Oh, dude. I commandeered the TV to watch it. It was great. I just want to say one quick thing about True Detective. And this isn't even in the episode that we're going to watch. But I think True Detective has one of the best representations of doing one for the film bros that I've ever seen. (laughs) 
this is really important to me. I believe that every piece of media, no matter what you do, you should always do at least one thing for the film bros. You got to mm-hmm. do it. But you can't do the whole thing for the film bros. You can't do you the whole cannot. thing for the film bros. That doesn't turn out good. But if you just do one thing for the film bros, it's great. It's and True Detective, thing. the one thing that they did is somewhere in the middle of the season. It's episode four. Episode four. They did this. They did this fucking picture perfect one take shot sequence and just crushed it. And I guess the reason why I bring that up is back when we were making Dream Daddy, we always talked about like screen capable moments, right? Like like something that someone could see mm-hmm. and then share with someone else so that they can discover the thing that you made. Yeah. In terms of like how, how you make something and make it so that people share it with one another. And I think that yeah. True Detective did one of the best jobs I've ever seen of of doing something that was something for the film bros that all the film bros saw and they were like, oh, dude, more people got to see this one take sequence. And the reason why I got into True Detective in the first place is because I saw that film bro sequence. It was like, this film bro sequence was done for me. I had to watch the rest of it. This was made for me. This is my whole. Yeah, Yeah, that sequence, I have also been able to red pill several people on True Detective because of that. And I think in terms of like all-time favorite characters in anything... Rust Cole's somewhere in the top three. It's it's really yeah. hard to beat. It's really hard to beat. Specifically their relationship, the relationship between Woody Harrelson and, and Matthew McConaughey on this is like, I, I truly believe that a Rust Cole character, like a, a real like piece of shit, like a guy who just doesn't talk like he's a real person, like he's written yeah. like, a, like a film noir character. I think those characters and characters like them always work best when there is one person there to be like, hold on, man, you don't talk like everyone else talks, and it's really weird that you do. What sentient meat? Stop saying shit like you smell a psycho's fear. What was the line? You're you're Michael Jordan of being the piece of shit? You're the Michael Jordan of being a son of a bitch is the line. Oh, there you go. I was sitting there watching this in treatment in my darkest days in treatment in a fetal position on the communal couch to sit in there mouthing along Dora Lang, kids in the woods, <laughs> like rocking slightly. Yeah, actually, what are your feelings going into it having not uh, seen in a while? I don't think my like film analysis is going to be like as sharp as anyone would hope. I'm going to smoke weed and then we're going to turn this on. Nobody I'm asked just, for that. I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to scream about it. We've already set a standard with this episode, so if anybody's still listening, take a little pause. Pour yourself a nice beverage. doesn't have to be alcoholic. We don't all have to party. If you have a nice little apple juice or a nice little, Mm -hmm. just some sparkling water, I don't know, whatever you want. If you want to smoke a little weed, great. If you want to just sit and stare into the darkness, good for you. That's very on brand. in the headspace of like, here you are hanging out on a Discord call with us parasocially. Also, if you've never watched True Detective Season 1, I urge you that our commentary should not be the first time you watch it. (laughs) This is going to be a little high level. It's going to be we're going to ruin everything and make it unenjoyable. I would only recommend listening to this if you've seen the first season and you are okay with me complaining about the other two seasons. Yeah, and also if you don't care. I know I was very heartened by a bunch of people who said that they like listening to the Jory Sopranos episodes, even though they don't care about the Sopranos. And it's like, that's the energy. Absolutely. That's it. So anyway, uh, we're going to take an intermission. Jarek, put like a sparkly, you know, like a harpy, like some sort of transition. And we'll be back on the main feed. And we're both going to sound even worse and sound be even more unhinged. We're, we're, we're going to sound mere, a little different after this. In mere seconds. <laughs> I'm not very eloquent, not weeded. Um, and dear listener, let me tell you, I'm going to be less coherent afterward. We're having a bit of a Thursday. Prepare night. yourselves. All right. See, see, I gotta go take a shit. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. <laughs> so, <sighs> okay. We're back from the Patreon, which you can yeah, find at patreon.com slash late night. It is now 11.02 p.m. <laughs> And we've both ingested this really substances. really hanging out with Vernon in the latent simulator. It is. What are you going to do when we're done with this? Oh, I'm probably going to sit on my balcony and watch YouTube videos. Yes. The way you consume Fallout 76 content is the way I, like, watch boxing YouTubers. Blasphemy. Sorry, oh man, my but bad. I, under- I understand. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I said it that way. God, it was not a good idea to get high for this. Okay.
Well, you're welcome, because here we are. Oh, what a delight, by the way. That was a treat. It was really great because I've showed it to so many people since I first watched it. And it's always that tension of like, please like this. But watching it with somebody who has not rewatched it since years ago, it was really a a joy. Also, we laughed at some like truly inappropriate moments. We put on a really vile display just then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, that wasn't a good representation of us. But I think it was fun. And I think, I, and I had a lot of fun. For people who actually endured that Patreon. You're champions. God Absolute bless you champions. and welcome back. Thank you so much. <laughs> For people who didn't, you're the scum of the earth and I don't <laughs> trust you. I, this is how you treat that's the, okay. your fans. That's it's okay. Great. No, no, no. It's chill. Uh, it's actually, uh, it's actually morally superior if you don't give us money. <laughs> I think that if you, instead of giving us money, you should give it. Filth. You should no no no. You should just generally as for the late night Patreon. There's so much great content on it. I just put out a 45 minute long me playing Stardew Valley with mods and being unhinged. You sent me that, and I listened to a little bit of it, and you were really angry that whole time. I started Thanks. scrubbing around, and uh, just I landed <laughs> on one, and the first thing that happened in this play was just like, fuck. <laughs> The relaxing farming game. Anyway, there's so much great content on the Patreon that you shouldn't pay for. And instead, you should give your money to a local charity and help support your own community. Because really, what it's all about is supporting your community. It's about the community. And do something small that is positive. And don't do something stupid like give us two bucks a month to get access to every single video episode we've ever done. (laughs) Along with weekly mini-sodes. You know, I always listen to these podcasts without the video, um, and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not to make this like a too much of like an NPR charity drive script, but like you really feel a big difference when you see the video, you know, and I, I think it really adds a lot to the feeling of late night when there's a video element to it. I think that while nice audio only, I think that a little bit of video um, kind of doubles your value, wouldn't you say? Like two dollars worth. Two whole dollars worth. Where am I going with this? Where am I going with I this? I don't know okay. either. <laughs> We're very bad at promoting this show. And as you've Jesus. noticed, like I feel like a narcissist for having a podcast. I'm keeping that mid-sentence burp in. I don't I I think it's a vanity to have a podcast. And it's against God's will. <laughs> I just think it's so cool that you have a job that you refuse to tell people that you do it. You're so right. I will straight up not say it um, if I interact with humans in real life. That is true. There's no shame greater than saying I have a podcast. (laughs) And I don't mean to denigrate all of the wonderful, wonderful hard work that Jarek and Brian put into this show. (laughs) God, we really ruined things. Oh, it was all because of the weed, man. Yeah. Um, oh, if there's any so good sorry. case in point to never smoke weed, this is it. This is what it does. This is your brain on weed and it's not pretty. It involves you laughing at scenes in True Detective that are just really heinous and being like, this is my comfort show. You never watched the other two seasons, I haven't right? touched them because I trust your word on them. Oh, yes. So this is They're your time. So this is your opportunity to go off about how bad they are. Okay. Um, this, this is just a stupid high connection. But like, I, the way I feel about the true detective series is the way I feel about block parties albums <laughs> because like silent alarm and a weekend in the city were so good that it got me to just believe that every other album that might just be okay. And it got me yeah. to the sense of false hope every time when they were like, we're releasing a new album. We're like, yes, finally I get to feel the way that I felt when silent alarm graced my ears for the first time. And it just kept hurting me. And disappointing me. And that is season two Mm. and season three of True Detective, which it presents you so many just fucking cool moments, like really, really like interesting bits and pieces that unfortunately didn't connect by the end. Like Vince Vaughn as like a like just a crusty businessman. And like like whenever he's on screen, like there's a there's a fucking sad trumpet that plays in the background. I love it so much. (laughs) Wow, I love Kirby. But like it just didn't come together. Colin Farrell too. Colin Farrell in that season. Yeah, dude, and he fucking crushes it. Like the the acting in it is so good. It's just like such a disappointing story by the end, Mm. and it's such a bummer because season one like nails those types of characters. And nails the plot and the story, so it all just feels like this perfect little soup. And in seasons two and season three, like you get a lot of fun characters, 
in season three, you get Mahershala Ali like uh, doing like yeah. age up makeup, and that's so fun, and he acts really hard in it. But like the story falls apart by the end, and like kind of like just reaches this anti climax. Season one resolves in a very neat way, in in a sense that what is answered feels satisfying, but what is not answered is interesting enough to think about for a while, which is where yeah. I want my media to be. And also, do you know about uh, Nick Pizzolatte? Yes, I'm saying it wrong on purpose. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun thing we do. <laughs> it's anti-Italian discrimination. <laughs> Nick Pizzolatte was accused of plagiarizing Thomas Ligotti's The Conspiracy Against the Human Race, which is a series of anti-natalist essays that's very good. And I, I forget what the veracity to the claims were, but the whole brothers and sisters opting out of a raw deal, like that whole train of thought is supposedly oh, sure. plagiarized, or at least is similar enough. I don't know. But I do love Thomas Ligotti. I don't really care. I love Thomas Ligotti, man. Thank you for lending me Grimscribe uh, for me to reread while I was in Grippy Sock Jail. Oh, absolutely, dude. I, I've had such a long relationship with this, like, fucking Lovecraftian kind of storytelling bullshit. Did I, did I ever tell you, like, way back when, like, when I first started going to Comic-Con, like, years and years and years ago, I would make it a point to always stop off at the HP Lovecraft booth so I could buy fun HP Lovecraft memorabilia. So you could buy memorabilia with Pickle Rick on it? <laughs> yeah. No, I got the entire, like, uh, like the Necronomicon. I bought at Comic-Con. Yeah, of That's course. All my- of course. The Comic-Con Necronomicon. <laughs> The, Necron- <laughs> the Necronomicon, you know. How, does, how has no one used that before? I don't know. The Necronomicon. I think that might be the title of this episode. Yeah. Google it first. Yeah. I'm sure someone figured it out yeah. before us and like did lame branding around it. But I feel the same way about HP Lovecraft that I feel about Nutella. Stay with me. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Okay. So. I know Nutella Nutella had its big moment on Tumblr where for some reason people were editing galaxy gifts onto Nutella and between the warring factions of <laughs> Tumblr, between hipster blogs and fandom blogs, everyone could commonly unite over like pictures of sunflowers and then Nutella posting. And the thing is, I like Nutella. It's pretty good. You get to keep a little jar. I guess if you're not in America, they don't do the glass jar thing. I could be wrong. But... You try it, and then you try other brands that have tried to knock off Nutella, and they're all better than Nutella is by, like, a lot. And that is how I feel about H.P. Lovecraft, right? Because he's the most famous one, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And everyone else before and after him are doing it better. Ambrose Bierce, Robert W. Chambers, Thomas Ligotti, Kathy Koja, even Mark Danielowski, Danielowski, whatever. I don't like House of Leaves, but I do respect it. So that is how I feel. That was a sumptuous take. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I, pre- I appreciate that. Nah, I just love that Lovecraft shit, man, though. Like, dude, I just like, <laughs> dude, there was like a thing on the doorstep. Like, they were fucking fish, dude. <laughs> yeah. Explicitly within the text. You know, I really vibe with the entire racist theming and deriving all horror from the <laughs> because I'm racist. And I love that being the base of my storytelling. Because H.P. Lovecraft was like real afraid of it. Yeah. And also like a lot of times when people who make stuff, you realize they're a piece of shit. Yeah. There's the whole jump to where there's no discussion further anymore than they're a piece of shit. When really, pieces of shit can make both very good art, but they can also make really bad art. And I think it's important that if you're dunking on somebody who is shitty as a person, that you also take the time to dunk on the ways that their work is shitty. (laughs) And sometimes a really shitty person can just make something that like, we're losing the conversations about how things are basically bad, which H.P. Lovecraft is. It's lazy writing. (laughs) Wow, we're getting really worked up about H.P. Lovecraft. It's just the. This fun is how it goes. Is this not capturing the energy of how this normally this goes? Of, yeah, this is some real scumbag Thursday hours, man. And I'm very, I'm very happy. It is, and you know what? It also is. It's out of touch Thursday. <laughs> of course. At the end of the uh, Stardew mini so that I did, because you know minis come out on Wednesdays on our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Late Night. They come out on Wednesdays. And so I was like, everybody have a happy We Shop Wednesday. 
<laughs> and a great out of touch Thursday. And I kind of want that to be my new my yeah, new thing absolutely. here for mini sods. Cause we have a bad track record with catchphrases. As far as catchphrases that you've had over the years as a late night stand, that one's pretty nice. Over the years, that's a fucked up thing to say. Yeah. It's oh, disgusting. Man. You guys have been talking. Yeah. You can listen to me in those early episodes. And just really the difference in my voice, the Tom Waitsification of my voice, yikes. <laughs> Not to get too nostalgic, but uh, I was thinking back to that uh, that first live show where I was about to go camping um, and yeah. you asked me to come on and then just pitch a tent on the stage. Yeah. And then I got home and I realized like that was the day that my plane was supposed to fly out and I just completely missed my flight. So I had to rebuy the ticket for the next day. Oh, I forgot about that part. That show was so fun. Oh, it was great. I miss doing the late night live shows. The fact that we were going to do one I with Jory. I would love to see you guys do a live one again. I would love it. I don't know if people would come. And moving tickets in LA is really difficult. Oh, sound off in the comments. Yeah, we, we've talked about traveling somewhere to do let's go shows. To Reno. Like, not necessarily let's go to a tour. Reno, Bro, let's go to Las Vegas. Tempe, Arizona. What do you say? I want to go to Good Springs General Store. <laughs> let's go to Buffalo, New York. Come on, guys. Yeah, apparently we have a a big listenership in Seattle, Washington. So everybody who's in Seattle, hello. Hope you're doing well. Oh, Seattle's great. My favorite diner in the entire world closed down uh, there. Rest in peace, Luna Park in West Alki. It fucking sucks, man. Feels like a piece (laughs) of my heart was ripped out. Alston Diner closed too. I still have one of their shirts. Oh. God. Man, oh, remember man. when they took down Happy Foot, Sad Foot? I'm sure every Dude. single person who listens to podcasts who doesn't live in LA just absolutely hates this shit. But I miss Happy Foot, Sad Foot so badly. I needed it to tell me how my day was going to go. To quickly explain the ethos, there was a, a rotating foot sign for a dentist, uh, no, Dr. No, sun, sun, sunset Foot Clinic, right? So, yeah, Sunset Foot Clinic. Hold on one second. There we go. <laughs> Happy Foot, Sad Foot. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Okay. So Happy Foot, Sad Foot was a rotating sign where if you you were driving down Sunset Boulevard, you would see it. And whether it was the Happy Foot or the Sad Foot dictated how your day was going to go. Some days you get the yeah. Happy Foot and some days you get the Sad Foot. And that's just, I don't know, it's just magic, man. It's a really lovely little stretch of road of like historic cool places and then Happy Foot, Sad Foot. But a couple of years ago, they got rid of it. And you said, where is it? I was there the day that they took it down, actually. I was doing laundry at the laundromat right next to it and I saw a crew taking it down. Uh, But the story goes that they were trying to have it set as, as a historical landmark. But I guess according to the bylaws... It can't be a historical landmark if it's made out of plastic. Oh. So, like, it it couldn't be preserved in that sense. Anyways, it got taken down, and I'm not sure who exactly grabbed it first, but it ended up in this shop in Las Feliz that screen prints T-shirts. Just pasted up against the wall, just, like, really, really huge. And they have a lot of T-shirts there that they screen print in shop, and one is of the happy foot, sad foot sign. I love that. I love that it's not gone. Yeah, I talked to the guy who, who runs the place, and he's like, yeah, uh, the doctor of the foot clinic would come in and the guy would give him a bunch of t-shirts and it was like a cool deal. Yeah. And then he told me he hasn't been in for a while. That's all I know about the happy foot, sad foot and his whereabouts right now. I keep tabs on this. Anyway, nobody cares about Los Angeles. If you don't live here, you don't give a shit and you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love living here. It's great. There's a reason that everybody and everything who makes things talks about it. Cause it's incredibly cool. But, uh, um, did you know that one of the locations in one of the original Fallout games, the Los Angeles Public Libra- Library, um, I learned that oh, today. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's called the Boneyard. Oh, that's what I wanted to talk about on the podcast. I've been going to a lot of libraries lately, and it's been really neat. Yeah. Give us your ranking. Dude, I normally get a lot of writing done in in coffee shops, and, you know, it's kind of like a grind to do in Los Angeles. Everybody's writing their screenplay. <laughs> when you go in the morning, it's just super packed and, like, just kind of uncomfortable. Then I uh, just realized that I could go to a library and sit down and there was no expectation of paying anything. And I just needed a place to sit that wasn't my apartment. And it's just been really, really, really lovely. So I just started trying out other uh, libraries. I was going to like the LA Central Library, which is huge. And uh, I'm listening to an audio book about how it burned down in the 1980s by Susan Orlean, the person who wrote <gasps> The Orchid Thief that uh, really? adaptation was based off of. Yeah. 
I didn't realize there was a there was a connection there. Wow, yeah. I almost bought the Orchid Thief before I left for treatment. And the only copy that they had was kind of torn up and I was not paying full boat for a torn up copy. Sure. I would read the Orchid Thief after this book. Let's do book club. It's just really good Los Angeles history, man. This whole thing is just like an unstructured what's popping. But right now I'm reading The Lost World by Michael Crichton, which is the sequel to Jurassic Park. The way that I described Michael Crichton's writing style to Vernon last night was aerodynamic. (laughs) It's not the most verbose. It's not the most impressive, engaging prose, but he's telling you a story and it's efficient. That's such a good way to put it. And it feels like Dan Brown is trying to copy that so badly and failing and then just using a bunch of big words the way somebody who doesn't know a bunch of big words tries to use them. Oh, but Michael Crichton knows them. Yeah, maybe he does. I don't know. But the Jurassic Park books are way more gory than the movies are, which is fun and a thing I enjoy. It just makes so much sense that you're dinosaur toddler. Like it like it really it really completes a, a picture of you, I think. Yeah, it was dinosaur toddler, love dinosaurs, very afraid of any like animatronic dinosaur, just hated it. Really? Very frightened. Yeah, because I thought a night at the museum situation would happen, and that's even before that movie came out. But then I turned into an Instead of a God-fearing child, I turned into an alien-fearing child. Yeah, like, what was that transition from dinosaurs to alien like? I don't know. I think as I, like, turned six or seven, I think that's when I first started being really afraid of aliens. Was that around when you saw Signs? It was bad before I saw Signs, and then after Signs, I remember that movie ending, and me and my friend Amanda, who Amanda Dream Daddy is based on, uh clutching each other in the dark and like shuffling back to my room, holding each other in the dark and then strategizing who is near a larger body of water so as to get away from the keep aliens, the aliens yeah. away by signs rules. Yeah. God, did everyone have that like one specific irrational fear when they were a kid? Because what mine was, was yours? It was zombies. Oh. And it was like really bad zombies like really 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 irrational like uh I, like i remember being really young and a friend brought over their sega dreamcast and was playing house of the dead 2 wow um with a light gun and it was just so scary to me and i i, I remember waking up in a panic like just crying to my mom and dad oh can't remember how old i was there but yeah, like it, it's just been like always irrational, like ever, ever, ever since. Like the scariest thing that you could show me would be like Night of the Living Dead or or anything. Uh, into, like, is this why you like Twenty Eight Weeks Later? Yeah, yeah. Like okay, it was really, really bad. And then at some point, I decided that like I didn't think it was cool to be afraid of zombies anymore, and I had to get over this fear. <laughs> so I like I like this. This is literally how I got into horror movies. This was just before uh, Wikipedia, so like I had to look up on Google like uh, websites that would spoil movies for you and give synopses of movies. And yeah, I would yeah. sit there and I would read the synopsis for the movie and you know do that regular thing where like you desensitize yourself to it. And yeah, like the first movie that I like tried to fucking go for was Twenty Eight Days Later, directed by like Danny Boyle and like written by him and Alex Garland, who like who went on to do Annihilation, right? Yeah. But uh, I, I sat there and watched it, and that to this day is one of my favorite movies because, like, that was, like, me pushing my way through this, like, zombie fear. Like, there was a time when you could not have gotten me to watch the Dawn of the Dead remake. Interesting, yeah. Like, I would have refused to watch it. Like, I, I saw a sneak preview of it, like, of the opening scene that's, like, really, really fucked up. And, it, like, to, it, like now looking back on it, it's, like, one of the best, like, displays of, like, runny zombies I've ever seen. Oh, okay. But just, like, so chaotic and so good. But, like, back then, like, I saw a preview of that and had, like, I fucking panicked, man. Oh, we were both mentally ill young people. Yeah. Looking back on that, like, there's some indications about, like, how my mental health issues manifest. Yeah. Man. I, uh... (sighs) What other stuff do we talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is the yeah, this, this is yeah, this is the thir- thir- Thursday night. It is Thursday goofing. Tomorrow it'll be Friday goofing. <laughs> we really don't. What's <laughs> in the news right now? <laughs> oh, there's a train derailment in Ohio that we're dealing nothing with. Good. No? <laughs> nothing good. Nothing good. Yeah. Do you ever get nostalgic for like early pandemic? No. <laughs> 
I'm talking about like specifically those first three months where we were just like, just watch Netflix for a little bit. And there we are, just like fucking like walking around our neighborhoods and like waving to people while we wore bandanas. You're right. And, You're and right. like crossing the street, like when someone was walking near you, because yeah. none of us knew how this spread at this point. And so we were just like, hi, neighbor, isn't this fucking weird? Oh, we'll, we'll be back to this shit in two months. Yeah. And then, you know, flash forward to like several two years. years. <laughs> yeah. Two years in, and I've like covered every mirror in my apartment with something because I was so sick of looking at my own face. Wow. Pandemic being like, I sit in four different places and they're all within 10 feet of each other. Yeah. I think the best way to explain pandemic is just like, you're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out as many different places to sit in your apartment as possible. Yeah. I strung up a a hammock on my balcony and I slept in it one night just because I thought it'd be cool. Just for the thrill of it. And and now that I think of it, I was just like breathing in like car exhaust that entire time. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. It's really the soothing sounds of Los Angeles and the general smell of dust. And boy, how about that rain lately? It sucks. Jesus fucking Christ. A couple of Angelinos like fucking on a podcast talking about rain. Jesus Christ, I was coming down. Yeah, I would be happy about it if my ceiling did not leak. Oh, Jesus Christ. Because that's problematic of the building. Los Angeles isn't built for rain. No, it isn't. It's very good that we got it because things are very dry. But just stresses me out very bad when water is entering my home without my consent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Existing is, man, it's tough. Yeah. This is what this always devolves into. Yeah, I don't know, like, fucking Thursday night. Like, you doing good, man? I'm so glad that you're back. I mean, I'm, you know, I am still very depressed and still struggling with a lot of the stuff that I did before treatment. But, you know, it's obviously not at a crisis pitch, but it's definitely an upheaval. And is difficult. I spent most of the day in bed, you know? Yeah, man. It's like that. I'm sorry, dude. That's oh, okay. That's how brain stuff works, and I'm working on it, and you know, militantly taking my meds and talking to my therapist, and blah 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 blah, and also working on not tacking blah 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 onto any sort of genuine <laughs> statement. I really appreciate that you're back, uh, and you were sorely missed. Yes, it's very good to be back. And me and all of our friends are, we just all love you so much. So thank you for coming back. Thanks. Thank you for coming back. <laughs> that, that, that is all of the sincerity that I can do at that point. Thank That's you. That's acceptable. That's acceptable. As you say about the stuff that I write, it's like really fucked up, but then it goes up a little at the end or however <laughs> it, you put it. It always it. has to go up a little, man. Yeah. So I am deeply appreciative of you and everyone else who supported me through the bullshit. Um, yeah, and I hope the people at home enjoyed this episode. I think both of us ran out of steam at the exact same yeah, time. Because it's also 11.30. Again, not to keep falling back on this bit, but like you are getting the true Leighton Vernon Thursday hangout where we just kind of talk at each other until the steam engine runs out. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, all right, buddy, see ya. And then we both retreat to like eat our little snacks. What's your little snack going to be? Are you doing... Are, uh, dude, are, I'm going to get a fucking fistful of, of white cheddar cheeses as soon as this ends. Dude, then. I have some of those <laughs> in my kitchen right now. I love those. I'm so ready. Do you like the smart food white cheddar popcorn? Because that's one of my favorites. You know, I haven't gotten that in a while, but that is a very nostalgic feeling for me. Yeah, it's very, very good. I'm like a sucker for those little plastic wasters where it's like, here's a little thing. It's got some cheese and also some other stuff in it. Those are great. Where it's like a little banana chip and a little chocolate chip and some cheesies and I'm working on my night cheese. I hope that people enjoyed uh, this simulation. Yeah, and if you don't, that is so so it's valid. It's so cool. Dude. It's so fine that you did. This one, we get this it. was a describably avant garde episode of Late Night. This was disgraceful, generally, <laughs> and I think we're worse people for having done it. But thank you for hanging with us, man. This, this, thank this, you for this. joining us in a pinch because Brian is too good to record this show with us while he's quote unquote writing an a whole oh, album oh, or boo, whatever. Fucking get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Folks at home, I really urge you to check out Michael Imperioli on Chopped. 
even if you've never watched The Sopranos, we didn't really explain who he is either. <laughs> oh no, fuck. He's, he's Christopher he's, from The Sopranos. And yeah, so he's many Christopher other things. Christopher from The Sopranos. He's in White Lotus season two. He's in Scarface as Spider. Uh, not Scarface. Fuck. Uh, Goodfellas. God, he what a guy. He was in an episode of The Office as Dwight Schrute's sensei. Yes. And he, in a show of dumb and evil people, he's probably the dumbest, definitely not the evilest, but he also wrote a ton of the episodes of the show, some of the best episodes of the show. And then outside of that character is just like cool intellectual dude who I respect very much. Very introspective. Yeah. He's got such a great voice and he's such a silver fox. It's disgusting. It's a fucking Michael Imperial fan episode. Yeah. So folks at home... Find you someone who looks at you the way that that one lady judge looked at Michael Imperioli crushing strawberries with his bare hands. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. Take care, everybody. Happy. Is there a meme thing for Fridays? Oh, Flat Fuck Friday. It's a picture of a, a an alligator. Yeah, it's I like, know exactly what you're talking flat about. Flat Friday, you fucking loser. <laughs> All right. Happy Flat Fuck Friday, everybody. Go look at a picture of a lizard. See ya. Sick. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>